Oh yeah, let's jump into this bad boy with episode 32 of the Arl Knots podcast. Mm. This is Zach Kuntz. We got Craven Morehouse yes. back up. I was going to say back in the house, but that's redundant. Back in so the Morehouse. Yes, back in the Morehouse. Yes, yeah. hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be talking to you like this, as always. Right on. I don't know, man. What else is going on? <laughs> That's all uh, I got. I'll tell you what's going on is runway. Runaway is going on. Runaway is definitely going on. This is the... What was it 1983, yeah, I think? 1984. Uh, 1984, Tom Selleck run, Michael Crichton written and directed. Yes, uh, which is fascinating tech- in and of itself. Yeah, I, once I learned that, I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> and this is like, I guess I would call this a, maybe a technophobia thriller. Is that like a I think that's, think appropriate moniker? I think that's appropriate. Um, yeah. I mean, my, I mean, we can we can take this in any direction you want, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, my the general consensus for me, like from a very broad perspective, is that it didn't feel as good as it needed to be for 1984. It didn't, right? <laughs> like 1984, was... and you know that's a big year for fil- yeah. for films. You know things are happening in the mid 80s with Dude, films that like, are just when like did, out of control. When did Blade Runner come out? For example, just like we'll just go for the throat. I, like, I think that was like 80. Was it 82? Um, I think it was before this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there are tough. Yeah, it was 1982. So. Yeah. I mean, obviously some films are going to be bigger and more visionary yeah. than others, but still I felt like Runaway wasn't doing its its duties <laughs> to get it there. But we but we can talk about how and why and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I, I I can't wait cuz I I went on a <laughs> kind of a roller coaster with this one. I started off very excited and then just it <laughs> the the floor dropped and I was like, "What in the fuck am I watching? Like this is this is not the movie it could yeah. have been that, that it started out. Um, there is a great movie I, in there. There's an awesome movie yeah, in there. Yeah, right? It's like, it's, there's such they a good start, movie in there. They, they kind of start fumbling it right away. I, I think before we jump into anything else, I, I'd love to just talk about the credits because they're yeah, hilarious. Yeah, let's, let's like, get in there. You get like the very first shot you get in the film. There's some like on-screen graphics happening that are sort of playing in almost like a waveform. It's like synthesizer, like the, uh, by the way, we'll, we'll get into the score heavy. Cause it's, Oh yeah. Well, that's probably we'll the most amazing thing time about to it. The score. But, but the first shot you get is Tom Selleck's glasses reflecting computer chips, <laughs> like a circuit board. <laughs> and you just know right away what he's all about. Like he's, he's stern. He's focused. He's kind of a yeah. nerd, but like, but yeah. he's all about computers. Uh, and that's what you see. Um, and it's never clear from the intro to when we get into it, what he's doing or what his department does. He's just <laughs> tinkering around with some, some, some chipboards, you know, yeah. in a very generic, like, I don't really know what I'm doing kind of way. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a great start. There, there was some tonal, tonal confusion. Um, moving right from that opening sequence into everything else that happens. Uh, like I, can we talk about how this film happened? You know, how did Michael Crichton land this writing and directing? Like, is this based on, um, you know, uh, one of his store stories or what? Yeah. It must've been. Yeah. 
I, you know what? I didn't do the diligence on that because I thought it'd be funnier to just talk about Michael Crichton. But it is interesting because <laughs> he didn't really direct movies after this. This seemed like mm. uh, I, I'm, I'm almost positive he was a, a, a successful writer. Let me just look it up right now. Let's do our let's do our diligence in real time. I want to see when he wrote. <laughs> That's the only way we do for it. Writing, yeah, for writing books. Let's see. Uh, early novels and screenplays. He started in '69, so he's definitely been part of the the printed word, <laughs> yeah, world for a while, like long before this movie came out. Um, the Great Train Robbery was his first movie to book to movie adaptation in 1978. Okay, Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland film. Okay, so he definitely had some some steps made in on, on the road to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it would seem that runaway was his big, like, okay, we've done your work. Clearly you like, you have some skill in crafting stories. Uh, let's see if you can now <laughs> direct those stories on the big screen. Um, and he did and very strange. He did. Yeah. He got like kind of everything he needed to, to make it work, you know, he did. He got a, a pretty solid leading man for the time. Like Tom Selleck was huge. Yeah, Tom Selleck was. And and to be honest, I didn't feel like his directing was bad. I, I you know, in, no. in a lot of ways, there are some things going on in the film that uh, there's some good crackling, you know, scenes and some things happening yeah. with like the way he's handling the actors uh, felt pretty good to me. Like there were some good performances. Like Tom Selleck was yeah. was was pretty good. Um, yeah, and uh, his his camera trickery with the uh, the heat seeking bullet was really sure. crafty as well because we didn't have things like drone cameras or anything like that. So yeah. to figure out how he did that, the closest thing we had before that was Sam Raimi and his Evil Dead camera. You know, or he and his right. it was like the the POV shot of the demon was always like him and two him and another friend like with a camera on a plank that they would just like hold side by side and run with it. I, and clearly that wasn't happening here because he was doing cool things like making the bullet go through tubes. Yeah, and, go through it. Right, exactly. Uh, so it's like there was some very cool technologically advanced things happening. But like in terms of plotting. Plotting and, 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 and story, overall vision. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it suffers pretty badly. Uh, I've, I don't know too much about Michael Crichton's work outside of Jurassic Park. But even with Jurassic Park, he seems to have a, a a thing with where he takes a big idea, which usually involves some sort of when science goes too far, and then yeah. boils it down into a, a more of a localized problem where it's like when science goes too far, one person will will be the problem. So in like Jurassic Park, it's New, uh, Newman or whatever from <laughs> Seinfeld, and yeah. in, in this, it's Gene Simmons. Like Gene Simmons is basically the Newman character. Uh, from Jurassic Park. Right. So he's got these big, broad ideas that could potentially say something more about like the state of the world or the implications. And he just turns it into like a bad guy versus a good guy situation. Yeah. And where... gives the bad guy basically zero motive that we're aware of yeah. um, or, or dimension <laughs> exactly. or any dimension whatsoever. <laughs> like he's the, he's probably one of the most one dimensional villains in film history. Like it doesn't, I couldn't wrap my head around his character at all. Oh, not at all. I was like, who and why, like, what is this? He's really just Gene Simmons. Like there was not, there wasn't a bad guy in the film. It was just Gene Simmons. It was like Gene Simmons will carry the badness 
by being... I'm wondering if we were supposed to bring our existing knowledge of Kiss into this movie. I think like, so. We don't need more than that because we know that that leering, creepy look he has, like, we're just like one visual like reference away from just putting the makeup on his face ourselves. I think that had to be it, right? There had to be that, that vibe, like just being who he was, the casting choice was clearly supposed to carry some further meaning for the viewer into the film. Like us as the audience. Yeah. We were like, he's the demon. Like we don't need any more information than that. That's his whole thing. Like, of course he's going to be this guy who's abusing the tech for for some unknown reason because he's inherently <laughs> fucked. Reason. he's an inherently yeah. a bad guy you know he's just, i love how bad he is um, he's bad let, let's let's bad, but let's yeah. take it back and, and and build up to that there's yep. there's a really big chance here so tom Selleck is the the head of oh you want to yeah you want to break down the plot cool yeah let's okay. break it down so he's like there i guess they're called the runaway department right that's like what they do they they subdue yeah. and neutralize rogue robots robots in yep. this world is like basically reached full automation like there's even a scene at a construction site where they're like there's construction sites that are just robots like that's we're there like robots are starting to do everything for us well they tell um, us that yes <laughs> they tell us that yeah yeah so here's how they establish what his department does he gets a call right away after he's done tinkering with his mystery you know computer chips <laughs> we still we never learn what he's doing um he gets a call and he's he's there's a farmer uh, uh who owns a cornfield who's got some machinery that's run rogue and he's like and it cuts to these robots and i right away I, this is when i first fell in love with the movie before i fell out of love with it when they show these little corn robots i was like these things are the best like i love these little <laughs> these little r2d2 like dumpsters yeah just, right they run around and they just pick caterpillars off of corn. Like that's all. They're not harvesting the corn. They don't show how they do that. These there's the field full of these things, and all they're doing is picking and eating caterpillars. And one of them is just going nuts. One of them is just like carving a trail through the corn with no sense of purpose. And so they have to go and take care of it, um, which turns into this weird comedic bit where they're you're like, okay, they're the robotics team. You know, they have advanced knowledge of of how these things work and how to deal with them. But it yeah. just boils down to them just chasing it and like leaping onto it when it's not looking. <laughs> and then... Right. Right. And it's, and, and their expertise is also in somehow knowing, I, I, I mean, we can, we can keep going with the plot, but one of the, one of the things that appears to be um, in this future where robots are, are automated, uh, you know, running, running this automated world is that they will all explode when you try to stop them. Right. Once so, you cover them with a coat, they they just detonate. Yeah, like, like all they're, like they're all robots coats, in this world yeah. are designed to explode. For, yeah, for some coats, reason, are, coats are their biggest weakness, and explosions are very common. And that's like, why it it's always much. dangerous, right? For the, this this yeah. police department that just looks like a normal police department uh, yeah. has no uh, other thing going on for it that puts them yeah. into a zone of being like technologically advanced in any sci-fi way whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah. They're just wearing like regular love- police uniforms. Like their big thing is like they show up to deal with the problem by trying to stop the robot because it's going to explode. So like the farmers, for example, in that case are yeah. like, we can't stop it because it's going to explode on us. It's going to explode. <laughs> We're not insured for that. They say that a couple times. Like, yeah, I love how the movie gives us that. Cause they go to a construction site later and he's like, why don't you guys just switch it off manuals? Like we're not insured for it. So it, these police only exist to do a thing that anyone could conceivably do on their own, but there's just like a liability issue there that the police 
The runaway department's biggest strength is their liability coverage, I guess. <laughs> Apparently, uh, yeah. When you say they look like regular police, too, I want to add to that. This is a regular world. This is not yeah, okay. any attempt to make a futuristic like civilization in any way other than the robots. This is the 80s. The it's, houses, the cars, yeah, every, everything is so everything. 80s. There is, there is yeah. zero world building at all. <laughs> the, the best he does, the most... The the most Crichton does to approach any kind of futuristic world beyond having a couple robots on wheels around in some scenes is give uh, Ramsey, uh, who's the main character, right, uh, a laser weapon. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And he never which uses, looks like uh, he uses he's it in once. like a laser tag like a... uniform too, which is even yeah. weirder. Like <laughs> I love his uniform. So that laser gun looked like a. Uh, an old school like uh, cashier checkout wand yeah, from right. a grocery store. Uh, it's not even like a phaser. You know, like phasers in Star Trek kind of have, they're a little stubby and they look goofy, but you could tell it's like a weapon. Yeah. This was just like, is this bro going to like check the price on this thing? Like, what is he doing with this? Um, so yeah, he gets the first, they get the corn bot. It explodes. We don't even see what they do with it. We just see them leap. And then it cuts to a wide shot of the farmers watching this like tiny, mushroom cloud you know yeah. <laughs> from the corn and then they come out of it like cartoon characters like kind of sooty and like oh just another day on the job i guess it's worth pointing out at this point that within that first opening scene when he gets the call he's also introduced to his new partner um he's like this by the way this is your new partner she's kind of hot she's definitely gonna have the she's definitely attracted to you you're gonna be like cluelessly unaware of it for some reason yeah even though she's throwing out all the signals um good luck on the job get out there and do it um, I do like that they had a fucking helicopter airdrop into this cornfield. Like the amount of money that the budget would require, not the movie, but the police department itself. Oh like, yeah. Okay. To you just, have a little, to airdrop you have a little corn a robot, the corn robot. Yeah. You, you have a corn Roomba gone rogue. These are Roombas. <laughs> That's basically what the, uh, the equivalent of these things are. And he's, they're airlifted into it by, via helicopter. They got a pilot. They're being debriefed <laughs> on headsets They're It's just, they could have driven here like, yeah, super easily. Um, and it just makes me wonder like if flight was the fastest way to get there, why are they the only runaway apartment in existence? Because <laughs> I think, are they in California or Chicago? I couldn't quite tell what. Yeah. I, I couldn't city. They were, I couldn't in. really tell either. Um, they were in a city though. So the, like, the yeah. fact that they end up in this cornfield is just like, are there no other, there's no other runaway people out there. This is it. They're the, they're America's runaway police force. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So it's, I also love how they, they're supposed to be specialists, right? But like a lot of the time they're just looking up information on these robots, like on the way. Right. Which is something anybody, any cop could have done i guess when you have a suspect and you try to figure out as much as you can on the suspect they're like tell us tell me what you got on this robot it's like bro this is this is why we called you i could have looked this up what are you (laughs) what are you talking about and yeah so they there's not a lot of time to world build they get this farmer call and then right away they get called for like this rogue babysitter robot that's has murdered people so we've like upping the stakes like super fast um it it had a knife and then it by the time they get there it's got a gun and yeah. there's a baby in there like everyone else is dead there's a baby and this thing's running around with like dirty harry's gun it's it's basically i want to try to paint this picture yeah. yeah it's a box on wheels with an arm 
on it, like a like a crank, like a clamp arm, and it's just holding a it's regular holding a gun. gun. <laughs> which, by the way, like it, the the runaway department, which is this police to just a plain police department, but is going after these runaway robots. It seems like whatever. I'm not sure what Crichton was trying to do because it seems like in this world that has that is supposedly you know fully automated. You know, you've got like, like you're kind of, they don't, he doesn't actually explain anything about the robots or why they're there or what's going on. But the implication is that everybody has like a home robot or something like along with robots doing a lot of other mundane action, you know, uh, you know, workforce stuff. But, um, the, but apparently like there's a unit because these robots are always hurting people or going rogue or like flipping out and killing people. Like when he's like, what has it got? Like, Oh, it's got a knife and a gun. And he's like, okay, let me put on this suit. Like he's kind of like prepared for it. So the idea is that these robots are all, it it feels like kind of a fucked up world. (laughs) It feels like this happens way more than like in, in our world, these robots never would have been approved for, this is like Tesla's car like running over kids. They're like, well, you can't release that. But it seems like every one of these robots has like it run over a few kids. Yeah, exactly. Testing. It would like, be like if Roombas were, were were blowing up and hurting people enough that there was a special police force designed to come and take out your Roomba when it goes rogue. I, and you can't do it yourself. Like you can't step on it or kick it over. Like the, yeah. the Roomba's like rolling slowly around in your apartment and you have to call like a full police force to show yeah, up. You got to wait outside. <laughs> yeah, you're helpless. <laughs> like, and we're going to say Roomba a lot because that's the closest thing we have today yeah. to what these robots are and do. And it's it, like a it mix between like Roomba and, and Wally, you know, that's kind of the, yeah. the but but not, yeah, that, not even Wally. Yeah. It's more like a toaster. Not even Wally. Yeah, it's like it's like a half finished Wally. Yeah, yeah it's. Like, um, it's a huge stretch what's going on in this movie to buy into it. Like, I think, I think it works for like a, like a, somebody between the ages of 12 and 15, it might tweak your brain and only in the (laughs) eighties, like it would never, like it doesn't. If you showed this to an eight-year-old today, they'd be like, "This is the dumbest fucking movie I've ever seen in my life." What was that giant stack of computers? Was that his? That was his wife. Like, what do you? <laughs> it's. I love. Uh, yeah. So, like, on this this series of podcast episodes where we're talking about movies, like a lot of the common themes that come up is like, "How is this aged?" And yeah. a lot of times, it's easy to misinterpret that as like, "Oh, is it? Does there like an insensitivity to the languaging?" Like, so in this one, it's like. How is the technology aged? And it's just fucking hilarious how wrong they got so much of it. Like yeah. we do have home personal assistance, but it's just a, a voiceless AI, you know, that you you call to <laughs> when you're in danger or whatever. You yeah, know, it's like right. there's no physical presence in your house that's doing things for you. Um, but I I would argue that maybe like if an if an Alexa went rogue, it would be far more dangerous. It could control your entire house, like. It could just trap you in there. It could like turn the heat up all the way. Like there's so many more interesting ways other than just like something is completely unimaginative is just picking up a gun and with this one little (laughs) clamp arm. Like I don't need a special police force to deal with that. I would fucking do what Tom Selleck did. I'd throw a blanket over it, kick it over and just like curb stomp it until it stopped working. Like, well, I guess this one, he uses the ray gun, but that's the only time he uses the ray gun. That's the only time. uh, Yeah. And the uh, the electromagnetic scatter suit is what that's called, which is just chainmail with like a bulletproof vest over it. It looks fucking sweet, but yeah, it looks it's like a, not clear what it does. It looks a little bit like a laser tag outfit. 
and it's yeah. it does it's not clear what it does and it's not clear why he doesn't wear it all the time because he's yeah th- that's his way of dealing with this robot and it's supposed to do something so but yeah. he doesn't ever wear the uniform other than that one sequence he doesn't know? and it's not even clear what it does in this sequence they do spend some time saying like listen this robot can like read airwaves so it's watching the news right now any information you reveal on the news this robot will know like yeah. he's, he, he's it's gonna know that i'm coming in the house there, there's a he's lot like, of better that put happening. the electromagnetic a, yeah. a lot of saying and not showing not showing <laughs> there yeah, is and then he goes, so All right, well, much I better... saying I better put on the electromagnetic scatter suit then. And it's like, okay, maybe it's because he can pick up your body's electromagnetic field and know that you're there, but he's wearing it. And the robot still finds him like right away. It's just shooting at him the second he walks into the house until he disables it with the laser, which he does by hiding under the bed and then just jumping on top of the bed like a kid. He just plays. He just has a shootout with the robot. That's it. That's any cop could should be trained to do that. Like, Right. I don't know why there's a specialized dude to just aim a gun at a thing and shoot it. Like that's he doesn't like even have any sort of special moves. He just like dives into a corner, hides, is found almost immediately, and then just has to like outgun it. Like that's his. <laughs> that's the extent of his robotic specialty. Yeah. Uh, I do love that the news was very. This kind of reminded me of like RoboCop a little bit. It was it's like at any cost type news journalism. He's hounded by this journalist every time there's something going on and this bitch sends a cameraman into the room with him. He turns around and there's just a cameraman standing there. He's like, dude, and he's like quietly being like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, no way, man. And he gets gunned down right away. And it's like, <laughs> I guess it's just the movie's way of like saying like, Hey, this robot is means business. Like it will shoot you, but it won't, it's not going to shoot Tom Selleck, but a human sacrifice is needed in this moment in time yeah, to, right. to, to, to lay down some stakes. Um, we also get Gene Simmons emerging from the fog and the chaos, like a the lizard man that he is. Like yeah, so Gene Simmons is the bad guy. He shows up. Yeah. He starts uh, laying down whatever foundation for being the bad guy, pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then this plot. And it turns unfold. out he's. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I guess ahead. it turns out that he's he's he orchestrated this whole thing with his evil microchips. See, this the owner of this house is a guy that's helping him design and and distribute hacking chips i guess it's yeah they're, like the they're microchips that, that i guess turn the robots evil or something it's not yeah. it's not clear or they maybe give him control they never it didn't seem like they established that like that he has control over it they just they didn't establish anything yeah. so he just Nothing. wants the chips and he wants to replicate the chips uh i i guess the, the the basic wide view is that he's looking to like corrupt the system for towards some end uh, yeah. th- and to to gain power but they don't actually ever explain any part of his plan in any detail whatsoever so yeah. you're just left he's with just like a, a bad he's guy he's just a bad dude has yep. he has he's a bad guy who has a couple of rogue uh spider robots that like inject you mm-hmm. and then explode because all robots explode they explode that's what they do um, that's a, that's the uh the end result like of every that, robot like that was the that was like the compromise to get to this part of of the future like, listen, yeah. we're going to need to make sacrifices to have f- fully automated, you know, world of robots. And unfortunately, the sacrifices, they all have to explode. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't get at some point. Yeah. 
But yeah, so Gene Simmons. You take the risks. Yeah, he, maybe he, today, maybe tomorrow. It's going to explode in your house, though. <laughs> He, he's, uh, it, it's not clear. Uh, and then there's this established, uh, again, said, not shown that, uh, uh, he had, uh, the, the Ramsey, the lead, the lead guy has a problem with vertigo. And so, yeah, that was, you, you know, that that's going to be yeah. a problem at some point that he has to face, you know, the, the man, yeah. the hero has to face his, uh, his big problem. And it's, it's like, it's told to you that he had an experience where, uh, you know, it's the classic like five years earlier, you know, yeah. thing. But it's just said, not shown in any way. So yeah. I he guess, lost a suspect. Yeah, he lost a suspect who killed other people. So he's always regretted it, yeah. and it's left him in a weird, you know, it's that damaged guy thing. You know. Yeah, I love uh, the '80s were very big into this too, giving their lead hero some sort of arbitrary phobia. You know, like Indiana Jones had snakes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Sam Sam Neill's character hated kids and like the kids in the movie were his weakness until he embraced like, okay, maybe I love kids. Like I, I you know, right, I can't right. tell anymore, but uh, like his biggest nightmare being trapped in this like jungle park with dinosaurs unleashed was having to deal with these kids, which was uh, I guess is Michael Crichton's trick. Give them some sort of Achilles heel. That's not real, but I'll, I'll, orchestrate these situations where it's forced to become real. Right. Like the heights, they're always like ending up on high rises. Like there's always a big staircase. There's always a fucking under construction tower. Like, yeah, you need your funny in a robot movie, how much heights becomes the biggest fucking danger. And for some (laughs) random ass reason, like, I don't know if he was like, I want Gene Simmons falling off of a building. That's my movie. That's what the end goal is. How do we get there? And it's it, like, it, yeah. well, the guy's afraid of heights. It's and- just like the, it's just the, the classic th- thriller thing. Like, what do you have to, what do you have to deal with that gives you the ultimate thrill level pr- fairly easily? You know, like, like if the, if the whole thing had, you know, if the whole climax had taken place in a, in a field <laughs> rather than on a high rise, it's like yeah. infinitely less cinematic and thrilling <laughs> like like Which just is, having something like their entire films that are like what's the premise the premise is a high rise <laughs> like yeah it's, it's the yeah die hard the that's the whole movie for like yeah. yeah like it doesn't even nakatomi tower is the main character of that movie yeah hilarious. and i think that's funny i think that says quite a bit about the idea of like maybe there's some kind of like megalophobia thing going on there or the idea yeah. of like humanity builds these like grotesque structures that are like kind of inherently <laughs> scary, you know, yeah. just these like we fear what we create things, you know? Um, but you know, it, it just it seems like a lot Michael... of leverage, right. To, to yeah. tell certain types of like, you know, cinematic adventure, thrilling stories. And I guess it does set up like a, a cheap imbalance with the main character versus the villain. Like Tom Selleck's a stud. Everyone knows that. Like, how is Gene Simmons going to pose a threat to him? It's like, well, if he, the showdown is in the one place he fears most, then, you know. Right. Of course, this, Gene Simmons doesn't know that, which is even more Yeah, annoying. he has no idea. He's just like, come to this high rise that I randomly chose. Yeah. He's like, fuck it. Thank, he's like probably watching Tom Selleck's character like struggle on his hands and knees on the elevator and be like, thank God I didn't go with Cornfield. I almost did Cornfield. And it was just. <laughs> I mean, how, how difficult. I mean, they have this character of Gene Simmons, like who supposedly is some sort of uh he's some sort of genius apparently in the right. in the way that he understands how to work with tech he's so much of a genius that he's made use of the tech to create evil bots 
you know, like yeah. and like evil monster bots, like weird spider bots. But the thing is, yeah. they never take any moment to show that while he's like hacking systems and he knows everything about Selic, that he chose the high rise because he knows about Selic's past where he yeah. fucked up in a previous high rise. Like that would have been such an easy leap. To, you would have used his, his, own, his own fears against him. Yeah, yeah like it would have been such a simple thing. It would have just taken one line of dialogue to to establish that 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 that's what's giving him the upper hand in that situation, and and it makes him a more interesting bad guy because he's he he's basically taking every weakness of our hero and trying to exploit it, but he yeah. doesn't even do that not, like he just he's just completely acting uh impulsively yeah and, and the most he goes so like yeah there's the the sign the engineer that helped him develop these rogue bot chips is like on the run they go find him and like gene simmons character luther by the way his name's luther um is there too and so he makes a run for it Tom Selleck and his partner both see Luther. They have already seen him because he was on the security camera footage of this guy's home before the babysitter robot went rogue. Yeah. And Gene Simmons just pulls out a big ass hand cannon and just fucking fires into this guy. He does not give a shit. He's got, I'm going to assassinate this guy in broad daylight yeah. in front of the police. And what are you going to do about it? Cause I'm, I'm Luther. Like I don't care. And it's, yeah. Um, that is one thing that this movie kind of got right. They basically use ring door security cam technology in their in their um investigation i'm like oh we we use that today that's actually a way that we deal with potential crime and you know <laughs> or just right right fail videos i i see a lot of fail videos on instagram there's people like slipping on ice on their front step and shit because their ring camera got it they didn't predict <laughs> that but yeah there's like a archive of this like visitors to this guy's house you know through his that is one of the creepiest things i'd seen in a while though is it's like cutting through footage like, hey, come to the club today. We're going to play tennis or whatever. And then it just cuts to Gene Simmons. He just looks up at the camera with like starting with that massive forehead of his. And he's just like, hello. <laughs> he does look great as the villain. So he's, he's got a, he's a got, greasy look. Yeah, you know, he's got a good look. And he 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 does fit pretty well in the role. I mean, he he leans into it. He's very growly. You know, he's like, yeah. Ramsey's like he's got that whole. Yeah. <laughs> thing going on you know he's sort of an asshole like in the right ways he's he's intimidating in some ways you know like he gives off a creepy yeah. vibe um but it doesn't really amount to much like it's i mean i guess yeah. plot wise we've kind of covered it like he's you know he just has to deal with this bad guy and that's yeah. really all he does and there's a couple little things along the way where um a little bit of character building between there's some pretty good chemistry between Tom Selleck uh, and uh, the, uh, the other main his, actor, um, his partner. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Uh, Thompson. Yeah. Cynthia Rhodes plays. Yeah, Officer of course. Thompson. Yeah. 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 They got good chemistry. They, they're, they're pretty good. And there are a couple of good scenes between them. Like, I think the scene that I remember from childhood when I saw this was the scene where he extracts the magic bullet from her arm, from her arm. Um, yeah. It, it's pretty tense. It's pretty good. And and yeah. I do like the way that Crichton handles um the 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 flow of and pulse of the dialogue between the characters feels very natural. Yeah. Like there's a there's a pretty good vibe going on there. Um and it's clear that Crichton is doing well with his actors, you know. He's yeah, he knows how to get in there and construct a sequence and and 
but but the problem for me is like the scale of the whole thing is really yeah. is really botched. the scale is so lame. The yeah, scale I, I, is I know miserable. what you're talking about too. There's a scene where um, he's trying to find out more about that engineer whose babysitter killed everybody because clearly he's involved. So the guy ran away from the crime scene. Um, uh, so they were like looking for this dude, and they go to his his place of employment to check the computer archives and Tom Selleck's interacting with this uh, security database and he he's there with another security guard and like they start BSing about the system. He's like, what is this a DXL five? He's like, yeah, yeah. With the new voice, the way they're talking about it was genuinely interesting. They both sounded like they knew what they were talking about yeah. and they were both into it. And so I know what you mean by like the, the, the interactions with the characters themselves, like made these, their knowledge sound cool. Like I really appreciated how they were talking about this tech. Like it was a, like a new, like, Oh, I'm a Knicks fan. Do you like uh, the, the trade they just made? Like it was very casual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ho- hobbyist, you know, versus expert. Um, they really nailed that stuff. Um, Definitely. And like the film was always kind of on the verge of dipping into some really cool spaces, but, and there was a pretty good, yeah. um, there were a couple uh, good set pieces, you know, there's like the finale with the, the, with some pretty good, like, you know, vertigo inducing, you know, sequences yeah. at the end, um, which was pretty effective. And then there was a, a pretty good, like, car chase inspired kind of that thing. That car chase some, was hilarious. Some, like, mini, uh, y- you know, some uh, RV vehicles. Um, yeah, they all looked like little battle bots. Um, yeah, that was, that was actually, kind of fun. They actually looked like um, old school external CD uh, burners. When like CD burning technology first came out, it was like you, there was none yeah. built into. You had to buy like a basically a, a drawer. It was the size of a drawer, and these guys. It was basically an external CD burner with wings on it, like little fins on the side of it. And that, that whole scene was hilarious. They're trying to draw Luther out. They're trying to figure out like how to get how to get him. Uh, they've got a, a, a witness. Kirstie Alley shows up halfway through the movie. She's the one like smuggling his um the print what is it the basically the 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 blueprints for the the evil chips like he can make as many as he wants as long as he has these blueprints she's smuggling them for him so and the, the cops have her now so they use her as like a as bait and they get it's i don't i do not understand this situation they get two police cars yeah uh one is the with tom Selleck and kirstie alley in it and then the other one has uh his partner um officer thompson they're, they draw out the assassins immediately and the assassins start targeting with these CD drive robots. They're like landmines, you know, that there's like a, that's pretty sweet. They have a port that opens up in the bottom of their car and they just like put them on the ground and they take off and just start tracking the car. Yeah. Some more awesome camera tricks. You get the POV, like Sam <clears throat> yeah. Raimi camera as these things like fly through traffic and go underneath other cars. Um, they seem to have a unlimited amount of them. They, they shoot down like 10 of these things. Yeah. Like, the size of these things, I could just imagine this guy's back seat. It's like, dude, where do I sit? Like, I, there's too many bombs in here. Like, I don't know where, <laughs> who's supposed to operate these things. Um, his partner's in the other car with like a fucking laser cannon on top of it. And she's just targeting these things and gunning them down before they get there. And at this point, the plan seems kind of half-baked. It's like, there's more bombs than we have laser cannons. We got to get out of this car. And so his big plan is to just pull up next to Thompson's car and like get out of the back seat with Kirstie Alley and just in like high speed traffic and just move to the next car. Yeah, like go from car to car, like jump from car. Yeah, to Yeah, I was car. like, where are they going? Like, what is the plan here? I I would never fully. Maybe I was like t- 
tuned out for a little bit, but I think that not a lot of it was, was very well thought out. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's, he had some ideas. And yeah. Then, there are some ideas and they don't, uh, that sort of keeps it's everything sort of keeps coming back around to that, that idea of scale and like vision yeah. for what this world is supposed to be. Um, you know, yeah. some, some people kind of, some directors kind of know how to, to, to do that world building. I think, I think something in, in a film like this, uh, you know, what, it, where it could have benefited clearly is with some sort of attempt to, well, first of all, do we know what year this is supposed to be? For the film, I looked it up. I couldn't find it. Like, it's like, just like in the, because in it doesn't. The future. Like it, it's, I cannot say it enough. Like that the the world building was was so minimal that it really just was <laughs> 1984. Like there is no. Yeah. But they keep acting as if it's the future, which is very disorienting as a viewer, because <laughs> yeah. because Tom Selleck will say something like, "Well, you know." now that everything is automated, but like literally nothing is automated by robots. So yeah. like they're on this, yeah. they're on this construction site. And he's like, since the time that robots took over all work of humans and construction yeah. sites, but there are literally, there's literally surrounded by people in construction hats doing the work on the construction site. Like there, there is, there like are no robots doing any of the construction. Yeah. It's all except people, the one rogue one, except this one robot. Right. Yeah. But he says, the words since robots took over all manual labor. Yeah. So, so like they didn't even think about what the characters were saying while they're showing you things. Like, <laughs> are we supposed to believe that robots are now doing all manual labor while we're looking at a construction site that has people, people doing the yeah. manual labor? Like, and the whole film was kind of like that. Like you got, the yeah, there's like, characters there's a will be like a restaurant, there's waiters, there's human waiters. Like there's no robots doing anything yeah, unless it, they're causing a problem. Right. That's, and at the same time, the characters keep talking as if they're living in a future where yeah. robots have taken over everything, but, the, but there are no robots anywhere. Like yeah. th there are not that many robots that show up on screen and they're not even convincing when they do. So, so whatever attempt to to convince the audience that this is a world that is in, first in the future at all, yeah. <laughs> and then B has a lot of robots in it, it like the, 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 he fails on both of those levels. So you're left with this kind of funky, like nebulous, you know, film that doesn't. Uh, I yeah, I, t I totally. I just even thinking about it is giving me like a migraine. <laughs> You know, trying to like, I know what you mean, though. Trying You're trying to, to figure out what it. kind of film it is. And it's like, well, this isn't a, a futuristic cyber thriller. This is just a regular cop and cops and robbers movie with like the occasional toaster. You know, that's yeah. And I, and I think like maybe, maybe this would be an interesting place to. Uh, would you mind if we segue into the score for just a bit? Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, because this uh, is is this Goldsmith? Goldsmith. Yeah, it, it's Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. who's one of my all time favorites. Um, I think the reason I wanted to segue into Goldsmith is because the thing that's funny is that Goldsmith is doing like a shit ton of heavy lifting with his score yeah. to tell this future story while you're seeing nothing that's futuristic on screen. So like, yeah, somebody, the, the memo that went out to everybody <laughs> was like, this is a film that takes place in the future. Yeah, <laughs> but then they didn't. They didn't make that movie, and I think what was happening was Jerry Goldsmith was like, "Oh man, 
I'm going to write a kick-ass fully electronic score, which is only one of three electronic, fully electronic scores that he, that he uh, composed in his career. Right. Um, I think he was like, oh man, this is my chance to really flex my uh, like elect- electronic skills. My, my future sound. And he, yeah. and he kills it. Like it's an iconic, amazing score. I have like the special edition and I love it to death. And, and um, we, uh, we use some of that. If you're uh, <laughs> familiar with the uh, star storm parody trailer with for creepio's dream. Yeah. That's um, all that's runaway. It's all runaway. Yeah. Um, did he do just off the top of your head? Do you know if he did gremlins? He did not do he did not uh, do Gremlins. Gremlins. Or, Was that or, Silvestri? Who did who did Gremlins? Oh man. No, he he did wait, he, he did do he Gremlins. He did do Gremlins. Okay, yeah. So there's there's a very Gremlins type uh mischievousness happening in the main in the like the the high the the main score, like when things start going crazy. It's like this robot shenanigans in musical form. And yeah. It's, uh, it, and it has like a very like na 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 like it has that kind of energy to it. He's, and I, he has that uh that's I, I, the only reason I brought it up because it just there's parts of this, the the, the phrasing and some of this. So um, he he has um, robot stuff. He has a way of gold. So Goldsmith's score is fascinating because, um, to me, well, I, I, it's basically like, it sounds to me as if he was composing symphonically, but for yeah. electronic instruments. So it's very it's got a very robust orchestral sound, you know. Mm-hmm. But and and um. That's pretty amazing, and I think this uh, you hear you hear a lot of things in this uh, where he he's I think kind of story he's sort of storytelling about technology. Like sometimes yeah. he comes up with these musical phrases that sort of uh, are evocative of this um, like beautiful technological future, but it's sort of like yeah. a commercialized future. You know, like the like the future is here today. You know, like that kind yeah. of a vibe, and um, sort of like a jingle esque kind of quality in some of his sounds um, in yeah. the score that I think are awesome. And I, I I I hear a lot of what he did in Total Recall, sort of maybe starting here with Runaway. Like I think he, right, right. You know, a good composer is always trying to kind of move towards a, a vision of something, and I feel like every score that Jerry Goldsmith did was like one step towards another level of greatness for him. You know, like he was always sort of pushing himself. And I mean, to do an auto electronic score is awesome anyway at that time, you know, especially for like yeah. a, a symphonic master like him, um, like orchestral, you know, composer. But um, some of those ideas that he, he's got going on are really propel the film in a way that the yeah. film doesn't even really deserve, you know, like he's, <laughs> his score is doing so much work to convince yeah. the audience that this is the future and this is like the, the most high tech thing you've ever seen, you know, and it's, it's truly this awe inspired, you know, world of the future. And I just, I love and that so much about the score, you know? And, and I think the movie knows that too. At least the editors know it because the movie, the opening credits start off with sort of visual light, like a, a visual indicator of the music. It's like blinking lights. Yeah, right. And it's and it's just all music for a minute until you see Tom Selleck's goofy, you know, chipboard reflection. Right. And so it's like it's like right away the movie's like this is the future. Listen to it. Doesn't <laughs> can't you tell? Like it's 
Yeah, he he's le- got this very like he- sort of like f- like f- wondrous curiosity in the in the tone at the beginning. It's like yeah, I'm not gonna go say like it's like it's like Vangelis ish, but it, it kind of is like trying to do like doing the same thing, you know, where it's like a little bit unknown, a little bit a little bit of curiosity in there. Yeah, you know? I hear that curiosity in in his score. And also in Total Recall, you know, especially yeah. when he's doing sort of uh, not just when he's doing something that's uh, big sci fi. Like he has sort of a big sci fi sound that I love. It's these really lush, yeah. like harmonic, planing harmonic patterns that he does that are just like get your your level of imagination really cooking. But like you said, that level of sort of technological curiosity is, is a funny one. Like he's got yeah. that in here in spades, you know, and it's. It's really it. fun and entertaining to listen to, and it's, uh, you, you there, there's um, a sort of, uh, idealistic sort of flavor in the music, right towards technology. Yeah. Like it's not a dark approach. Yeah, it's not. It's not a, a pessimistic at all. It, like you're, it's, right. That right. Exactly. It's a very optimistic sound that he's going for. And and and, 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 and of any like, of the cues, like there are like thrilling yeah. action cues there are like um you know the 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 good guy is up against you know is he going to survive kind of cues you know there's like yeah. suspense cues there there are love cues you know it's all electronic right but they're all kind of optimistic yeah. in a cool way um and that that i love because he, he the guy jerry goldsmith just completely gets the memo like he's like i yeah he's he understands that this is an entertainment on a certain level and he's going to just like knock it out of the park <laughs> with that sound. And I love it. Cause like, what was he doing around the same time? Cause this guy composer resumes are very weird like that. You'll see somebody who's famous for doing something really huge. And then you'll check like what they were, what else they were doing around that time. And it's like some straight to video <laughs> bullshit. Like I was like, this guy is just doing favors left and right. Like he did not need to do this or maybe he just needed to like repave his garage or something like there's well, I feel he, like that I mean, happens he, with composers more than anyone else oh yeah totally <laughs> I mean he had a bunch in the 80s I mean he had uh, the Burbs was that that was 80s oh, yeah. right that was 80s yeah Burbs is uh, fucking Pol- fantastic Poltergeist of course which is one of my all oh yeah that favorite. was like this the same this was released the same year as Poltergeist yeah like, like that's, that's like Poltergeist I'm actually picking up the, the orchestral score to Poltergeist and yeah. I'm gonna try to see if I can start replicating certain parts of it just oh, as an man. exercise it's so good um, because that, that score just it, it's gotta be one of my top five film how scores how is this guy still ar- like alive he's been scoring since Jerry 60s, Goldsmith is like the fifties. Holy crap. I mean, he's not 53 was his first credit. Oh, is he dead? Yeah. But like recently, right? That was, uh, yeah. 2020 ish or his last compose, but they're all like things like legacy things like star Trek, like things he probably already had composed. Well, the score to, uh, the score to, career. uh, star Trek Picard. I-, I was kind of surprised that like, they didn't give him more like credit actually yeah. for that soundtrack because to me it sounded like there were entire parts just like lifted directly from the score not just yeah. not just musical motifs but like actual orchestration like lifted from the Star Trek the motion picture score which was intentional like you know yeah. they, but but there was so much of it that I was like I wonder like, why this they is didn't... not new music yeah this is crazy yeah man he's like Around this time, he also did like both Rambo movies, which were. It may seem silly to talk about Rambo, like 
but like at the time, Rambo's the Rambo movies were huge, and these scores were fucking killer. Just oh yeah, so much horn. Yeah, he's got Twilight Zone the movie, Gremlins, Poltergeist. He was fucking killing it in this like two year span that fucking Runaway was made, and I just love that he's able to. He had that that fluidity and and flexibility to to go from Rambo to Runaway with like yeah from like dark uh sort of patriotic action to like whimsical optimistic futurescape like oh and then to the burbs i mean like the the, burbs yeah the burbs has the burbs score cracks me up it's so funny how it pushes like a lot of uh stereotypical musical styles like western horror (laughs) like he's just yeah he's it's incredible yeah. Oh, he did Warlock too. That was one thing I wanted to do to you was like take your favorite composers and then pick their worst movie <laughs> that I have seen because I knew like I, like you and I had like we're on the same film like spectrum I think, but we come from it from different ends. So we're like Goldsmith fans, but like you never would have watched Warlock, whereas I would have been all over that shit. So it was like I was like I think we should revisit that again. I'm like let's pick a composer. I'm gonna pick their what I think is arguably their worst movie, and we're gonna watch it. And Warlock is fucking awesome. <laughs> I love how this has just become the Jerry Goldsmith podcast because Runaway is just so. I mean, I can't. I mean, misguided. He, he's just one of my favorites, you know. Yeah. And and, and I also love that like, he was so present from the very like him and Williams are kind of the same, you know. They they were like composing music for the Twilight Zone, yeah, you know, and and then just kept, never st- slowed down. Like they were doing, yeah, they're part of like film and TV history. Like twilight zone is so yeah, early in, in the biggest you and way I, possible. You and I you know. did like some research because we were doing the, the Andor, you know, uh, retro trailer. And we started having some other ideas and we started, we went down a rabbit hole, just looking up like when did color TV become invented? And so these guys were working in those early days. Like they've been there almost the entire time. Like, yeah. syndicated television have been a thing. Well, you, so you know, what's funny too, is sometimes I actually start to wonder if maybe some of the reasons that I love a film so much is because the score took it to a, a yeah. place. Sometimes like my love of a particular film and my love for the score for that film are so intertwined that I'm not yeah. actually sure like <laughs> if they yeah. can well, be Runaway separated, is, you know, I, Runaway is definitely in that because I remember when I first started hearing the music, all of that nostalgia uh, feeling started flooding back oh, in. Oh, right? In that, a way that the visuals never did for dude, me. Dude, that's like, I don't so remember funny. any of this shit. I had like, the same experience. As soon as Runaway starts up and I hear that yeah. score, I was immediately taken back. Yep. And I was like, this is, uh, you know, because I hadn't seen those visuals. I, I heard the score, but, you know, seeing it up against the movie, <laughs> I, yeah. I was immediately sort of felt like, I, you know, this these emotions that, you know, were there from childhood like oh my god this 80s weird yeah. 80s flavor coming hit me hard you know which is which i didn't feel about anything i saw on camera <laughs> it was all it was all score like the score did all of that nostalgic lifting for me like, yeah I did, so much happened in this movie that i don't rem- i remember the gun i remember the the, the heat-seeking bullet gun i remember the spider bots <laughs> um so I, really quick about those things so luther is just like the ultimate bad guy he's using technology for evil and every every possible chance he gets and the plot revolves around his like computer chip scheme which is like these chips once implanted a robot just uh, 
for what they show on camera, it just makes them crazy. It just makes them try to kill whoever. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any way to program it to do any of your bidding or... And you also have to, like, physically install it. Like, he's on camera disguised as, like, a, a robot repair guy. So he clearly was, like, went into their house and, like, augmented the robot by hand. And his whole thing is, like, I'm going to sell these chips to the highest bidder. And... <laughs> But do those guys then have to like go around the world and like personally install every one of these chips that they want to like you're if you're yeah. already if you want to like take out a, a major public figure or something like you're already in that person's house if you're trying to like sabotage their robot. So why even bother with the robot thing? I guess it's like a clean. Well, the robot just went crazy, but the amount of steps involved like in that scheme just were never thought about by Crichton. The, the, there were he, many things like that that struck me while I was watching things that you're probably supposed to just skip over as if you were, you know, I think the film requires that you deactivate a large portion of your brain. Yeah. To enjoy it. Microchips are scary. Ooh. All right. Stop. Don't take it any further. Like that's it. I mean, there were some basic things too. Like, uh, so Tom Selleck's character is kind of dumb. Like he, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he's got that, that really good much. He's got a really good macho thing going on. And Tom Selleck is, a, he's, he's excellent in the movie. Actually. He's, a, he does, yeah. he does well with the role. I love but- his, his character was like, I, it was cool to just like watch him ha- have conversations. Like, yeah. Like he's, he's really convincing well and he's yeah. got a good vibe to, to his character in the film. Like he's, yeah. you get the impression that he's just a, a good guy, but, um, yeah. but he, he's kind of a dope. And there, this this one thing happens that really struck me as as just super bad writing. Like when he's dealing with this situation, at the, you know, where he goes and he has to rescue this kid right from the uh-huh. from the, this robot with the gun. The father, uh, who's involved in this plot with the bad guy, uh, and Tom Selleck doesn't know this yet. He says, uh, Tom Selleck tells the father of the kid he's the robot has a gun. And yeah. the guy responds, a gun, oh my God, he, he's crazier than I thought. Yeah. Right? So the thing that's funny about that is that Tom Selleck never revisits that this guy just told him yeah, he's that like, somebody else he's, is involved. He's crazier than Yeah, he thought. never says like, who. Yeah. Who's yeah. crazier? What are you talking about? And then, of course, the guy runs away. But Tom Selleck never says to like, another officer or back in the, when they're, when they're trying to figure out what's going on, he just never says, Oh, by the way, this dude's mentioned that there's some other guy involved here. And then he ran like, yeah, like I get him. Like the the fact that that they just skipped over that is such terrible storytelling. It's dude, that whole police, uh, that whole crime scene was a mess. Cause they did like that news cameraman just walked into the house after him. Like, why is no one stopping that news guy from going in the house? Like, yeah. Who's in charge of this fucking court? Right. Like so much of it feels kind of pedestrian to me. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's the way, like if I was in high school making a short film, <laughs> I would, I would forget those things. Like not a fucking professional. Like, I, I, I don't know if this was a big budget blockbuster. I feel like with Tom Selleck in it, it must've been, I think um, it was as big as a lot of films in the eighties were, yeah, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if it had the same type of budget as something like, I don't know, like the Goonies or something, but yeah. Like, but who even knows? Cause like Blade Runner in our, in our, in our minds is like a huge film, but I think it was like kind of a flop when it first came out. So mm. who even knows what a blockbuster is, you know, around this time, you know, it's uh 
Yeah, I, I. But but these mistakes are fucking amateur level, though. That's they're that's, they're really that's bad. Our point. Yeah. I think another <laughs> example that just I don't know how this got through, like to the the final edit or the final script. Like, I, was there a, a a first draft of the script? Was there a second draft yeah. of the script? Like, there is. Was this a book? Like, what did you cut out from yeah, the like, book? What, what, and what is, is this? What did the book say about this? Another good example of of how weird and kind of sloppy the film is is that there's a scene where somebody's like okay ramsey's like you're gonna have to talk to the psychic and you're like psychic dude i was gonna bring up the psychic, the psychic. there's this fucking there's a psychic in the movie there's this like minority report element all yeah. of a sudden thrown in yeah <laughs> and you're like is she a quack and then it's like no she actually she gave him the correct answers yeah like, she she actually can she's like holding an object in her hand and she's pulling like, information from Luther. the object like, that's like yeah. factual information that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Like she she is like tuned in to a reality with her psychic abilities that are like I, not in question. There There is no I, question. I had to rewind that three times because I'm like, did you just say fucking, because I like was kind of taking notes and casually blew past it the first time. My mind thought he meant like one of our psychiatrists because he was having a hard time like Tom Selleck was struggling with some shit and he's like you need to go see one of our therapists but and then like then he started talking to her and she was like holding this thing and like looking up into the ether and I was like whoa 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 whoa, wait a minute did he say fucking psychics and I rewound it and his chief who I I love that he's like the villain from Police Academy it's like but he's this serious character he's like the same character but like not in a a comedic way he's an antagonistic uh, police figurehead uh, he's like, I'm going to, you need to go see one of our psychics. Like this is an order that he goes and sees a psychic <laughs> and he's like, not into, it. he's like, Oh, this bullshit. So he's like a techno guy. So there's clearly like this implied resistance between the two ways of thinking. Like one is yeah. sort of new agey and like bullshit. One is like grounded in, in science. Right. But it does not explore that at all. They just, he goes and sees a psychic. She tells him everything true she, things about has, this like villain. She has blazingly accurate information Yeah, as a psychic. And, <laughs> and she's like, you don't have to and then like, he's like, well, where do I find this guy? He's like, he's going to find you. So that's like, she basically tells him not to worry. Like the bad guy knows who you are. He knows where to find you and he's going to contact you. Yeah. Well, first of all, and she, then, she, she, she uh, divines the, the guy's specific name. <laughs> yeah. I like how she so, goes something old, something biblical Lu- Lucifer. No, Luther. Like it's yeah. Just, <laughs> she gets his. I mean, like okay, he's the devil. In like, some ways, yeah. the implication to me was that maybe she's a total fraud, and she like basically like looks on the computer and then pretends yeah, that she's she got a psychic. All the info. Because there yeah. was no other way to square what they were saying in the film with what is in the story. So like, yeah. if if she was a psychic that could determine information that well, she would be a top person that in the department she'd be on the case from the beginning yeah like she would they would have an entire de- department like wrapped around this person who has these incredible skills but they didn't even yeah. like but you but like you said they tried to make it sound like people were skeptical of her abilities even though she's getting this incredibly accurate specific yeah. information and then they never explored one inch of that. So they introduced the concept of a again. psychic and then left the, the concept of the psychic yeah. within approximately a three minute period in the film. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Why what are you doing that? this? What I'm, what I'm thinking is that if this was a book, 
the, this book probably, I didn't look anything up about this. I, I just, for some reason, didn't want to. I don't know why. Um, th- if there was a book of this, there, it tells me that there is probably more happening in that world's uh, established lore that maybe there was this magic and technology were sort of like head to head. Yeah. In, in terms of like development. So there is magic, there is psychic. There's probably a whole psychic wing of the police force and that Tom Selleck's character is like forced to team up with them because it's not just robots you're dealing with. You're also dealing with the human mind and it's propensity for evil, you know, and it's right. You can't, you can't pull that apart with, uh, with a, a microscope, you know, and it's, uh, and, and then maybe they even filmed more, um, with that and it probably just got cut out and they just left this one weird fucking scene. These are all guesses, but yeah, this, that's typically how these kind of things happen. And I think, if I were to look into it and find a book, I'm going to guess that the book probably has more magic in it than this movie would like hint at. And I, I love, I'm a total sucker for that kind of thing. Yeah. I love, I love magic and technology, magic That's and technology. Best. Like yeah. give it to me again, like going to total recall again, which, yeah, which uh, to me is a good example of how you do a weird kitschy future film. Like, yeah. Um, but um, like there was this, there's this character that has psychic abilities and you don't need to, you don't need to ask why or how, like it doesn't, yeah. you know, okay. So these mutants have psychic abilities, like, cool. I, I don't yeah. care, but it's a part of the plot. Like at least it has some, yeah. s- some reason to be there. Like, you yeah. know, this whole psychic angle threw me so hard and it just, it, like for me, you know, they're just, uh, the check marks are going down the, like the list hard at this point, like yeah. losing me. You know, on the film, dude. When I when he said I I I need you to go see one of our psychics, it felt like someone threw a punch at me, and I didn't realize it until a few seconds later. I was like, "What the (laughs) fuck? Did you just attack me? Like, are you insane? (laughs) Run that back, bitch. Try that again." And then I I rewound it. He's like, "I need you to go see one of our psychics," and I was like, "He did it. He said psychics." Yeah, and and the scene wasn't directed with any kind of visual like flair at all. It was like one take, and it was just like there was. I mean, again, Jerry Goldsmith was working hard in that oh, scene. Man. He was doing a sort of um, mystical kind of mo- musical motif, and yeah. it was really good. But it just—he was trying so hard to give the. the That's scene. how you knew she was legit. Yeah, it was the he only reason. He, Jerry Goldsmith would have played some sort of like I'm a phony type music if it was like all bullshit. But no, she was she. Her powers were real, and Jerry Goldsmith knew that. <laughs> yeah. It was, he was, I like, he uh, tried, he tried around the, around the same time. They, they have one of Luther's smart bullets and they're trying to determine how it works. And they split it open. He's like, I, it's, it tracks you, but I, I can't figure it out. And then one of the guys accidentally discovers the secret in the most eighties way possible. He lights up a fucking cigarette in the middle of their like robot lab <laughs> and, and it responds to the heat. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no way that no one would ever be able to do that today. They would never have guessed it. They're like, I guess this is just going to be a mystery. That's we'll, that we'll never get to the bottom of. Cause nobody smokes indoors anymore. <laughs> they were, that was, that's hilarious by the way. There were so many missed opportunities like that. They never followed through with the the magic bullet, uh, the heat-seeking yeah. missile bullet. His partner was a cool character, but his partner never got out of the police station. Like, yeah. they could have had some they could have had his partner sort of working in the background to sort of try to defeat these guided missile, you know, these personalized heat-seeking missiles. Um yeah. and then maybe that could have come into play in the finale. Like it doesn't I, I just everything felt kind of left on the 
the table in a weird way that just well they left it on they brought it to the table in a weird way so like luther's whole thing he's got his whole scheme revolves around these chips the chips never go away he hired these guys to develop the chips he killed them to keep the secret yeah. He's after Tom Selleck because Tom Selleck somehow got his hands on the on the blueprints. But then they start introducing all these other elements. He's got the smart gun. And then they make part of the movie about the smart gun. They're like, we got to figure out the mystery of the yeah. smart gun. Yeah. And then they discover the mystery of it and then don't do anything with it after that. They're like, oh, we know how it works now. We can counter it. No, he just still shoots people with it. They have to avoid it. You know, it's exactly. Um, and then he got the the robot, the, the, uh, the spider assassins. He's got these little... Uh, spider droids that are just straight up fucking wind up toys. They're adorable. Like when they're sitting there like chittering at him and I'm like, this is a wind up toy and yeah, you it's going to run out of juice. You any can minute. kick that like, thing, you know? Yeah. They I, never try to kick it. I love it. It's like just fucking booted off the side of the building. What are you doing? That's kind of why um, I feel like this film was made for like 12 year olds. But the problem is yeah. there's a scene for no reason that has like full nudity. And it's like, why did you do that? Like, yeah, what they is, brought in like the the like, hookers, I, you know. Yeah, that's I, I think that because the, it's for twelve year olds. That's why that the they're like, let's give rated, these kids a little. Uh, I think the film was rated R. Like, was uh, it R? No way. Um, PG thirteen. Yeah, there was. Oh, was it PG thirteen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think this is the year PG thirteen came out too. We we talked about this on another podcast. It was very recent ish rating. It came out in the eighties. It's, I think because of Poltergeist, because Poltergeist is like, we're PG. And it's like, bro, this is not a PG film. What are you talking about? <laughs> a guy peels his face off. Like, we need to do something about this. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. But yeah, all of Luther's little like gadgets and advancements, like each one of them could have been uh, its own plot device. Like, oh my God, this guy has smart bullets. He could take over the world. But no, it's just his regular weapon. It's the thing he pulls out. <laughs> And uses against people in broad daylight. And they're like, we need to figure out the mystery of the smart bullets now. Forget the chips. And they do. And then never, it doesn't go anywhere. But the thing about the robot spiders, they just show up. They're just a thing he has that sort of demand more explanation. But we never get it. He just, it's just a thing he has. That's not known that if these things exist in the world and he's corrupted them or if they're exclusive to him. But yeah, he does explain him at one point. They squirt acid into your body and then they blow up. And then they blow <laughs> up like, like every other robot what do you in need, this world. Do you need both? Yeah, it's like it jumps on like the first poor lady, um, Sally. I, I had a crush on her the second she showed up. They're like, we need this crime scene swept. And then they bring in Sally and she's got this like thing that Peter Venkman had in Ghostbusters when he was like scanning. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Sigourney Weaver's apartment was like pumping that little thing. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, it's complicated. Like she's using one of those and they leave her alone in this bathroom where Gene Simmons vanished from. And like, she's the first victim of one of these spiders and it leaps on her neck, ejects a needle into her neck and then combusts. And it's like, well, what is it? Did the needle killer to the explosion killer? Like why? It's like a double. Why does it do both? Death. Yeah. 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 It's pretty- and it's just like squirts acid. That's fucking brutal. And I think we've unfortunately know enough about how acid works just because that's become like a thing people do to each other and hate. They throw acid at each other's faces. Like, yeah. And we know from these stories that it fucks you up. Like it makes you, it could, it could kill you potentially, but yeah. if at the very least it makes you wish that you were dead. It burns in a way that is just not unlike anything else. But 
at the end, Tom Selleck gets a face full of it. <laughs> like fully full blown, like burns half the side of his face. But then he's kind of like got this roguish scarring. Like, ah, I just, I just went through some shit. I'm like, no, dude, you just got acid thrown in your face. That is, that is ludicrous. Like, yeah, it just kind of looks more like, like kind of like grease smears at the end. Like, yeah, sort of, he's got some, some like greasy some, face going on. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just like, it looks like it just will buff right out, you know? Um, <laughs> So they get like all of this hacking, all this computer evil. And at the end of the day, Luther just wants his chips set back. Um, they meet at a regular ass restaurant where there is an automated sushi chef that they use. But then like right away, Luther calls him. He's like, no, 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 I'll, let's go to this restaurant to meet me. And he turns around and it's just right there. It's like, wait, why is there an automated sushi chef? Right outside this like outdoor French restaurant, that's like isn't that like uh like encroaching in a weird way? But anyway, they go to dinner. He tries to use his smart bullets on Tom Selleck, and he just blocks him with a regular ass table. Like it's yeah, <laughs> which things are supposed to be. Which by the way, that missiles scene, that scene had my favorite line. It made me laugh out loud and then rewind the movie just to hear it again. They, so the plan is that they're supposed to go there and meet up, right? Yeah. And and this it, is after that ridiculous car chase with the with the external CD drives. Yeah, they're they're doing a prisoner swap basically. Luther's got Luther's got somebody. The bad guys got somebody, and Ramsey's got somebody. And they need to switch. They need to do like the the the, the prisoner swap, right? So they're going to do it in public yeah. at this restaurant. And so Tom Selleck gets there, and he gets on the phone uh, with with Ramsey's. Okay, and yeah. Tom Selleck is like, "Where are you?" Which is the answer? I mean, which is the question you ask when you're, yeah. you know, when you're going to do a prisoner swap? <laughs> and Luther responds, "Don't be an asshole. I'm like you having dinner. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't even Don't make any an sense. Yeah, it doesn't." The, like, he like why does that make me an asshole that I, I don't know where you are? Like, I'm not pretending like I know and I'm just having making conversation. Dude, like, like, I feel like the script was originally like, are you enjoying yourself? Like, yeah, what do you you know? What what are you up to? You know, like, because it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Of course, Ramsey's is, is going to like when he gets there, they need to do a fucking prisoner swap. He's going to say, yeah. where are you? But then that response, don't, he's like, don't be an asshole. I'm like, I you, feel like he missed dinner. out on it. Like, yeah, they missed some lines where he could have been like, how's that sushi? He's like, how do you know I'm eating sushi? He's like, don't be an asshole. Like, I can see you. Like, that's the only reason that would make sense. Like, yeah, it does. <laughs> and he just turns around and Luther's just sitting there doing his creepy, like, downturn glare at him from a table, you know, like having dinner. Like, he's don't, just be at this an, don't be an restaurant. asshole. Don't be an asshole. I feel like that was Gene Simmons' chance to improv. Or, like, or, improv if he, or if he said, don't be an asshole, I'm having dinner, as in, like, don't interrupt me while I'm having yeah. dinner. But he actually right, says, right. don't be an asshole, I'm like you, having yeah. dinner. And it's like, but he's not having, Tom Selleck's not having dinner. Like, it says. Yeah. It, well, he did. He just ordered that sushi, and he was standing next to it. So I guess that's what he <laughs> meant. Like, he didn't even have a chance to pick it up or even, like, try to eat a piece. He just, like, ordered it, and it came out of this maybe racist uh, kiosk. I don't know, it was like a. Sushi yeah. kiosk, so it had like a Japanese guy with a broken accent. I'm not gonna do it here, uh, <laughs> but maybe that was there. Just like this is authentic sushi, you could tell by the way this robot Japanese guy sounds. <laughs> we programmed it to sound that way, <laughs> but it was. It's not the kind of movie where that's like a commentary on anything. It just 
I think that's just what they thought a sushi guy would sound like. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. So they, yeah, so they have the shootout. He shoots him with a couple smart bullets that seemed like previous to that were like unstoppable, but he's he's dodged and dove out of the way of every single one of them, and this dinner table stops it. Um, what happens after that? He, they lose Luther. They somehow, he, he shows up at the police station in a cop's uniform. Yeah. So it's like, did he kill a cop? We, we don't know. He it doesn't matter. He just has a cop uniform. He also has a cop eyeball to like use to access the security system. Yeah. So we are missing a scene where he killed a cop, took his clothes and maybe his eye. He just does it. He just shows up like that. But unless it, I did I miss it? Does he do that? Like, no, he doesn't do that, but also it's not like a normal eye. It's not like a it's real, not it does it looks like a 3D printed eye, right? Yeah. It looks like a like a fake eye. It's very unclear what's going on there. Yeah. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a real eye and it was a bad prop or if it was like a artificial eye with a real police officer's ocular information on it, but we didn't <laughs> right. get any of that. They didn't explain any of it. I feel like every film in the scene, every scene in the film has like two or three other scenes that should have been that got cut out, <laughs> right? like around it to, to explain what's going on. Yeah. He clearly like killed a cop cause he's wearing a uniform. He has visual access to their, their security system now. Yeah. Uh, but in the film, he just walks into the police station Everyone in the police station knows what he looks like by this point, but it doesn't matter. He just sits down, uh, opens up the Tom Selleck's computer, and then just finds a file on his son <laughs> right away. So instead of, like you said earlier, using like this knowledge of his heights, this would have been the moment where he looks at the computer and sees his uh, career file and finds this traumatic incident that yeah, was exactly. clearly affected by a phobia that this movie went out of its way to establish. But no, he's like, oh, he has a son. I'm going to use your son against you. Right. And um, you can make the assumption that he gets that knowledge. But the problem is, like every other thing, it's like you need to show that. Yeah. You can't, you know. Which they don't. He just happens to say, like, we're going to this construction tower. Meet me there. Yeah. There's no reason for it. Uh, he does destroy my favorite character movie, which is Lois, which is uh, Tom Selleck's uh, oh, made bot. Yeah, made bot. Yeah. <laughs> She's she's very great. Not for any reason other than the way she says hot dogs. She's like, we're having dinner tomorrow. Hot dogs. <laughs> I was just so happy with yeah, how she, she was, said it. I was her, like, I love Lois. The, the, the actor that voiced her was pretty great. Yeah. she. I had to look her up to see if it was anybody like famous. And she, she is prolific in the VO world. But I, I not for anything like that anyone would know. Like, oh, she was actually Tila in the He-Man cartoon. She just did a lot of... She was like a journeyman. She was just always working. Um, but she was fantastic. And Lois was there. All there was like an inkling of a thing that they could have explored there because Lois was very over, like an overbearing mother. Mm-hmm. And Tom Selleck even says that sometimes. Like, is she your wife? And he's like, she she seems to think so. Like, okay, explore that a little bit. Like, what's the implication here? Is this robot learning too much, or right. is it crossing the line in this weird way? But it's just this quirky like. I don't know what I'd do with that. Can't live with her. Can't live without her. You know, that right. sort of thing. But there's some funny dialogue there. Like he, he comes home and his son and the robot are there. And she's like, just starts narking on the son right away. Like he only ate chocolate for supper. There's high sugar content, no nutritional value in his current you know, organic makeup. And uh, I really loved what they started to do here. Just like everything else in the film. I love what they started to do. And then they just right. ditched it. Gene Simmons just fucking kills her. <laughs> her design is amazing too. She looks like 
this is going to be really foreign to younger people, but the way luxury home audio used to look. Oh, totally. Like That's what it is. She's like a stereo system. She's, she's a, she's a <laughs> deluxe stereo system. Like it's a tower of just glistening plastic or metal. You know, you got your cassette your receiver, you've got your cassette player, you've got your turntable, you've got maybe an eight track player, you know, it's, if yeah. you wanted to have some vintage shit, you know, that's, and, you know, if it was, they didn't exist yet, but eventually that a CD player would be part of that stack, you know, it's, um, but she was just a, a, a deluxe sound system on wheels with, a, with one arm making pasta and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's nagging him about like the, 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 his partner. She's like, Ooh, you got to date this girl. Should I come, should I commit her to my memory banks? You know, like. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but just because she's my partner, like Tom Selleck's the only one that doesn't notice this this blatant sexual tension the movie is forcing on this partnership. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. That's another thing I was meant to mention when I said he was kind of dopey. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's really oblivious, oblivious to what's going on, yeah. you know, in a lot of which kind of makes him sort of lovably dopey, I guess. But like, yeah, um, it's like annoying, but you're also like, well, at least his intentions are pure. You know, exactly, he's like, yeah. I want to invite you over after he pulls that bullet out of her arm. He's like, come over to my house for dinner. She's like, her, she lights up and she's like dinner. He's like, yeah. She's like, really? And he's like, yeah, I do it for all my partners. And she's like, oh, and he's like, what's wrong? Like he doesn't. Yeah. And he's like, you don't like want the... dinner. Like he's, his, yeah. <laughs> he's like dinner, but dinner, I, it's di- yummy dinner. Like it's just so yeah. dopey. <laughs> Who it's doesn't want sad. food in their tub tub? Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, which is even dumber because then by the end of the movie, uh, after the, the showdown, they not only kiss in a way that is not earned at all, but yeah. they kiss for almost the entire end credit sequence. Yeah, like they, it's the they, whole, it's about the kiss. Like it's nothing but the kiss. They at kiss that for point. like uh, like five minutes straight. Five minutes in a uh, shower it's like, of it's sparks. It's such a weird <laughs> ending that you're right that it's not earned, and yeah. the last shot is so over the top. It, they've got like this non-stop barrage of sparks behind them. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should do a, uh, a minus music for that. Where it's just them making just out. Just making for, out. You, like, you, mm, have to, you, have to, you have to foley mm, that. Yeah. Mm, just the just sloppiness like of a, <laughs> the sound of a construction just, site. With the sparks shooting out. Just <laughs> like the sound of like metal on metal. Just like firecrackers like going off. Yeah. This, this showdown, by the way. So Gene Simmons, he wants his chips. That's all he cares about. He's got his son now. Uh, he's got Tom Selleck's son at the top floor of this construction site, or near the top. When he gets there, there's little the little robot spiders uh, on the ground, and he hesitates, and Gene Simmons comes up over the video feed and is like, ha-ha, do you like my friends? He's like, don't worry. They're only, they're only there to make sure you get on or whatever. Uh, they leave him alone. He gets on the elevator. Uh, he's like, let's trade. You know, my son first, then the chips. He tricks him. He sends his son down the elevator and he's like, ha ha, I can't have any witnesses. The robots were programmed to kill whoever gets off the elevator first. So then it becomes a race to like make sure he doesn't get off the elevator. Um, (laughs) His partner shows up. She rescues the kid. They start climbing. So they didn't technically get off the elevator. Um, There is one thing I appreciate about this elevator, though, because it is like a mixed workforce construction site. There's like humans and machines. And there's a a button on the elevator that says human speed. <laughs> so there's like the default speed of the elevator is apparently like turbo fast, like G force <laughs> defying, like fast for the machines. And if you're a man, you're gonna like, no, 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 just, I'm going to press the regular button. Um, obviously he has to get over his fear of heights. Yeah. He's, 
And that sequence was pretty good. That that was a pretty good sequence. There was some good shit going on there. The little spiders are just little wind-up toys are sitting there like threatening him the whole time he's trying to uh, perform inhuman levels of grip strength. He's got a... The elevator <laughs> needs to be reset and the reset button is on the bottom of the elevator. So yeah. he's got to like hang by just the arms, fight off a couple robots, but also like hit this open a hatch, press the button and then like climb back up. And every once in a while, there's we had this idea for our channel a long time ago. I never really did anything with it. But this idea of like taking these impossible physical feats for movies and trying to replicate them in real life. Mm. And it's like, just have me hanging from monkey bars and try to like swat away <laughs> something with one hand and then like try to like activate a, a terminal and then fucking pull myself up. Like that's called yeah. a muscle up. He did a strict muscle up. That's when you go from a pull up position past the bar into a press down. So you're above the bar. Like, yep. That's one of the most high-skilled gymnastic moves you could learn, and not just anybody can do it. I can't fucking do it. Like, I can do it if I, like, spend an hour warming up, and then I'm allowed to use my hips. Yeah. But he just did it strict, pulled himself up over the thing, and I'm just like... After hanging for, after like... After hanging, and being squirted with acid, yeah. and, like, sliced. And he's so <laughs> fucked up. He got acid in his hand? Like, the thing stabbed his hand. Yeah. He, he may have acid in his veins <laughs> as we speak, and he's hanging... So I'd have to like do something else to my arm to simulate maybe like a numbness, you know, from from an acid stab. Like I, the idea of trying to recreate these situations in, in the in the safest way possible, but like yeah. also in, like is just always intriguing That's to me. That's so and, like, funny. Hang from one arm. I have to like dip my hand in ice for like five minutes and then try to like hold myself up with it or something like that. Like, um. So then he Gene Simmons like gets on the elevator with them once he gets it set up reset. Um. They tussle a little bit, and then he hits the button. I guess it's not a human speed button. It's uh, you hit the button for robot speed, and he hits the robot speed button. Uh, Gene Simmons is like basically thrown off his feet, and he tosses him off the side of the building, making him technically the first person to get off the elevator. And so, yeah, the little robots descend on him, and just they all inject him. According to him, filling his body with acid, but. They don't blow up yet, though. They he, to, There's just enough time for Tom Selleck to get down there and get, like, a fake out. Like, Gene Simmons sits up and, like, screams and, like, grabs him by the throat. It's like, bro, you are filled to the brim with acid right yeah, now. Yeah, that, like, that was mysterious. How... That he's he's so evil, I guess, that he yeah. defies acid <laughs> death. There should have been, like, a body horror RoboCop type thing where, like, he's his flesh is burning away and he sits up and like, he could still do it, but there has to be some yeah. indication that he's been affected by these things. Right. You know, that, that his hatred is so great that he could for like a couple seconds, ignore this intense visually f- painful looking thing. But right. No, he's just, he's, it looks like he's just sleeping with robots on him. He's like cuddling with these robots <laughs> and then, and only then do they burst into flame and consume his body. <laughs> it's, it's all a bit mysterious that he would have these robots as these, you know, he, he, the implication that is that he's a technology, he's technologically masterful, right? Yeah. Like he, he understands how to build these intricate advanced weapons but he wouldn't have some sort of protocol in place for these things to never attack him. Yeah. You know, like they explained earlier in the film, there's a precedent for it. They explained yeah. earlier that these heat seeking missiles can be uh, targeted to one person. Yeah. They can be personalized. Yeah. They he can says be like our heat go fields are, with a heat are signature. unique, like fingerprints. Yeah. yeah. So like the idea that why he didn't install these robots with the thing that like 
would never go after hit after his exact yeah. heat signature. And, and again, it's the type of thing that would take maybe just a couple lines and then one clever way to defeat it that gives the good yeah. guy even more of a of a cool thing that they do, you know? Yeah. But their clever way to defeat it was this lazy workaround where it's like, the first person to step foot off this elevator will be have yeah. their fate sealed by Spider-Bot. It's like, that's uh, as far... He programmed that. He didn't even program further, like, but not me. If it's anybody yeah, else Right, anybody who gets off the them. elevator. Yeah. Like they, so the robots understand that there's an elevator and somebody gets off the elevator. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's really... I don't know, man. It's It's all a bit baffling to well me. there's like, also like when he's up in the elevator still being attacked by these robots he's not technically off the elevator yet so they clearly understand that he's the target in that situation so yeah i don't know what changed there like why are these robots a threat all of a sudden when they're only designed to to stop the first person to step foot off this <laughs> elevator oh which by the way i'm never gonna let oh so go ahead I was just, I'm never going to let that go. Like the, the wording is so specific. Like the first person to step foot off this elevator dies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, well, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I have a huge tolerance for shenanigans in yeah. films. Like if you're asking me to suspend my disbelief, it's not a challenge for me. Like I can, I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. I'm not trying to sound nitpicky about this, but man, they did. They did. They miss pretty much like every opportunity <laughs> in this to, to, to like, and and the thing that makes it even more annoying is that they were leaning so hard into cliches, but without delivering on those cliches. Like, yeah. It's kind of unfortunate. They just, I don't know. Don't be an asshole, Craven. Like you, <laughs> I am also into cliches. Also 